Well, good morning, church. Man, so glad that you're here today. What an exciting time to be together as the family of God coming right here to this place as uh, people who want to lift our voices to God for all that He's done for us. We are an incredibly blessed people, are we not? And we live each day to give Him honor and glory, knowing that we can overcome whatever the world throws at us because He lives within us. I know we've got some new faces here in our audience this morning. Thank you for joining us, joining us online as well. We're so glad that you're a part of our time together this morning. We hope that maybe if you're looking for a church home, we'd love for you to think about making Cross Point that place you call home, to join us in telling the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. We'd love for you to join our family here as we enter into Grand Prairie, the metro, and around the world to help share who Jesus is and how he can absolutely change your life for the better. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 2 this morning, and I hope you've got your Bibles. Uh, turn to your Old Testaments. Jonah's located in the prophet section toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, it's only four chapters, but it is chock full of great theology and reminder for us who God is as he pursues us. Kale launched this series last week, but he's in Germany. I've uh, been in Germany this week. His brother is a missionary in Germany and had, uh, has gotten married this week, so he and the family are over there celebrating with his brother at their marriage. But I do know that as we live life and we give God honor in all that we do and we say, we're reminded that whether the sky is blue or it is chaotic and stormy, whatever is going on in your life, we are told to call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy of praise because he is the one who is going to save us. Amen. God is a God of salvation. And wherever you find yourself in life, we are called to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, as we take a look into chapter two of Jonah this week, we're going to discover some things along the way. And it's really one of those moments where you just had to be there. Now, I know that you've had moments in your own life where you feel that way as well. It was difficult to describe. There was some emotional content. Some things happened where, to put it into words, just failed. I mean, you just had to be there in the moment to fully get what exactly is happening. That's what we're going to discover in Jonah. But a few weeks ago, I was at a, a Hall family reunion. It had been a few years since I'd been to one. And at those moments, it probably like at your family re reunions as well, there's some storytelling that takes place. And my dad told a story about when he was four years old, I had not heard before. My grandparents had a small farm and they had some milking cattle uh, as well. They had eight or 10, I think, cows. And this particular Sunday morning, my grandmother had gotten my dad ready at four years old, uh, got the suit and tie on, the hair, you know, slicked back just right, ready for church that Sunday morning. Uh, Grandpa was out in the barn taking care of milking the cows, and my dad, who was four at the time, went out to the barn to see what his dad was doing. And my grandmother said, don't get dirty. You can see where this is going in a heartbeat. So the cows are in the barn, in their stalls, and they're getting milked. And my, my dad, again, four years old, is walking behind the cows. And he got behind this one particular cow. The cow coughed, and everything else came out the other end. <laughs> All over my dad, head to toe, manure. That's one of those moments you just had to be there. I really wish I had been there. Wouldn't it be great to see my dad like that? It would have been awesome. My guess is you've had moments like that 
similar in your life that were hard to retell because they were just so impactful. Hopefully it wasn't that tragic. But maybe you remember the moment when, when your child was born. You were in that room, life in your hand, squeal of a new baby, and you think, man, you just had to be there. I can't describe it to you. Or maybe that moment when that same child walked across that high school stage at graduation and you looked at your spouse and said, yes, finally, they're moving on. I remember that moment. Or maybe it was, was the moment that your current spouse said yes to spending the rest of their life with you. And you remember that day and the events that led up to the asking and the question, and you think, man, it, it, you just had to be there. <laughs> It was an incredible moment. And in Jonah chapter 2, we get one of those moments in this story of how God is connecting with his creation as he calls Jonah into this story for him. You see, God had told Jonah to get up and go to the capital of Assyria, Nineveh. And Jonah was not going to have anything to do with that. Matter of fact, he got on a ship and went in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Matter of fact, he booked it all the way to the end of the known world. He was trying to get as far away from God as he possibly could. But as you and I know, you, you can't run from God. And God catches up to him. There is a, a great storm that ensues. They're throwing cargo over the ship. And finally, they wake Jonah up, who comes topside, and they begin asking questions in the heat of the storm, in the darkness of the moment, waves crashing over the boat, their lives in very peril. And they ask the question, what should we do? Jonah, do you know why this is happening to us? And in chapter 1 of verse 12, Jonah says, it's all because of me. I'll own it. It's me. And Jonah does something in that moment that we find very rare today in our culture. He just takes it. He owns it. Jo Jonah didn't say and blame it on his dysfunctional family or poor parenting as, as he grew up. He, he didn't blame it on his boss and the lack of upward mobility. He didn't blame it on the lack of money in the bank account. He didn't blame it on his skin color or where he lives. He just simply said, this is happening because of me, because of what I have done. I will own it. I'll take it. It's what God is doing to get my attention. And so after that moment, the people ask, what should we do? Jonah says, throw me over the boat, over the side. So he does, and the minute he hits the water, the storm dissipates, the sea is like glass, and the next sentence is absolutely interesting. Because these men who don't know who God is, when they see what happens, they stop and they worship God, our God, because they know that a God as powerful as that is worth worshiping. Amen. And church, we've seen God work like that in our life as well. We've seen the power of God working in us and through us, around us. And they worshiped. And the minute he hits the water, we, we don't know if it was a whale, a large fish. The text in the original language says it was a large fish. But suddenly this fish appears that swallows Jonah in the moment. It was a fish that God provided. And why is that significant for our story? 
because it's a reminder to you and to me that God wants us to know it's no accident that this fish showed up. It's a reminder that God provides for each and every one of us. That whatever is happening in your life, blue sky or storm, God is present. He sees what's going on and he provides for us. So this fish swallows Jonah and he's in the belly of the fish for some three days. So we see and look at Jonah's life and our own life and what we find out is so true that when we run from God, he chases us. He pursues us. And once he caught up, to Jonah. Jonah is overwhelmed by the sea, overwhelmed by the storm, overwhelmed by this monster fish that has swallowed him up, overwhelmed by his own guilt for running away from God and not interacting in the story God had called him to. And that fish reminds us of something in the story that is true for us as well. And it's this that God is in control of everything. God is in control of all things. Whatever is happening in your life, know that God sees and is interacting. And most of us feel like when God pursues us, when he catches us, that it leads to punishment. But the truth is, when we take a look at how God interacts in our life, it doesn't lead to punishment, it leads to our salvation. It leads to saving us. So once caught, Jonah feels that guilt. But God doesn't catch him in order to punish him, but rather to save him. And sometimes God's salvation looks like the very end for us as well as he catches up to us in our own life, as he interacts with us, just like Jonah thought it was the end for him. At times, we feel that way as well. When it seems like we have to stop and face the past where we've made some poor decisions, where we've been unwise in the choices that we've made, when we have sin in our life, when we have to stop and face that, it seems like in the moment that it literally is going to swallow us whole. But instead, we realize that it actually saves us. It's like, like the idea of giving sacrificially, like we're called to as people of God. When we give sacrificially, we believe it's going to bind us, it's going to tie us up, it's going to hold us down. But what we find in the end is it actually frees us. When we sign up to go on that mission trip in that uncomfortable place so far away out of my comfort zone, when we finally get on the plane to move in that direction, to go in that direction... We feel like, I'm not so sure, but once we get there, what we discover is that our paradigm shifts, our perspective changes. We get out of our little bubble and we realize we have a new perspective of God's creation and the world that he wants us to be a part of and calls us into. So the question I want to leave with you this morning for us to think about in the course of the week that is coming is what do you do when you get caught? What is it in your own life that you do when you get caught? Because everything seems to hinge really on how we respond to God catching up to us. 
And in Jonah 2, Jonah is going to reveal to us what we do when we are overwhelmed with the guilt in our life for making poor decisions, for not following God. He's going to reveal to us what we do in our own life. And the first idea that Jonah gives us in chapter 2 is the idea to call on the name of the Lord. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. Now, I know that we've got some skeptics here in our audience today. I, I know we've got some folks who look at this story and they kind of think, really? I've been there myself as well. Maybe you're online, you're thinking that as well. I, I know that we've got some folks who are looking at this story and they're saying, okay, Tim, for just a moment, let's, let's think about this. So you think during this storm where God catches up to a guy, he's thrown into the sea and there happens to be a large fish there big enough to swallow him and for him to live inside of him for three days later to get spit out on dry ground. You really want me to believe that. I would encourage all of us to think about other stories that we believe to be true. One in particular, go all the way back to Genesis chapter one and two. Church, we serve a God that simply spoke everything into existence, <coughs> who breathed life into you and to me. That's the kind of story that we believe in, so I am absolutely certain, based upon that one story, that God can do anything that he wants to do. It's called to trust in the word of God. I mean, after all, Jesus did as well. If you take a look at Matthew chapter 12, Jesus likens himself to Jonah. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so the Son of Man is going to be in the belly of the earth for three days, foreshadowing his own death, burial, and eventual resurrection. And so Jonah prays from the belly of the fish. Take a look at verse 2. And Jonah said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waves closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. Don't you love Jonah's remembering what happened to him. I mean, the roots of the mountains. That's a great visual, isn't it? And J Jonah responds to God not by silence and stonewalling, not by anger or a state of depression. Jonah responds to God by repenting. He turns around. He makes life different. And it's important to realize that in our story that God is not punishing Jonah. He's simply trying to get his attention. Uh, think about your own life and confronted being inside of a fish. I'm pretty sure God would get your attention if that was you as well. 
But Jonah responded by turning back to God and asking him for help. And I know that there are many of us here this morning who might be struggling. You might be in a spot in your life where you just feel this dark cloud around you. Maybe you feel like you're in the middle of this chaotic storm and you just don't know how to get out. Maybe you feel that you're facing something and it's so large, it seems like it's just going to consume you. And if that's you this morning, church, you've got to make your starting place calling on the name of the Lord. That's got to be where you start in life. I mean, the word repentance in the Hebrew language literally means I'm walking in one direction, I'm doing something specific, but then at some point I make a turn and a transition, I'm going in a totally different direction. And Jonah is gonna do that in his life. He's living out a life of repentance. I made a decision to move this direction. God's called me to do something different, and so I am going to do something different. 180-degree turn, and eventually he will hit dry land, and he will go to that capital of Nineveh, literally and figuratively going in a different direction. The church, the reason we have guilt in our lives is because you and I run from God. And we have that anxiousness about us, that heaviness about us. And it's not until we turn back to God, church, that we're ever going to get rid of the guilt and not be overwhelmed by it anymore. I mean, at the end of the day, what we need to remember is who you run to is more important than what you are running from. And church, we're called to run to a loving Savior someone who wants you to be a part of his story. And it's important to realize this prayer that Jonah is praying, he's still in the belly of the whale, in the, whale, in the, uh, in the big fish. He's still in the darkness. He hasn't been saved. He hasn't been delivered. And yet he's still calling out to his God because he knows who his God is. Verse 6 is a reminder. He's saying, you brought me up from the pit. So the first thing that you and I have to do is that we've got to call on the name of the Lord. And the second thing is in verse 7. We're also called to remember the Lord and what he's done for us. Verse 7 says, as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. I mean, remembering is more than just recalling the past. It's actually a reminder about hope for the future. And we do have a hope for the future. For instance, we, we just as a family gathered around the table of God, celebrated the communion together. We partook of the bread, which represents Jesus' broken body on the cross. We partook of the grape juice, which represents his blood shed for us, and in that act, we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us in the past. But text also reminds us that we look forward, we have the hope of celebrating that meal with Jesus again anew, with him at the table. Remembering is not just about recalling the past, but it's also about hope for the future. 
And Jonah knows exactly the kind of God he serves. He serves a God who is faithful to his promise. He's been faithful in the past and he will be faithful in the future. Now the truth is, if if we all were to be confessional this morning, each and every one of us has stuff in our past, sin that we carry around, poor choices that we've made along the way. I'm thinking of a teaching moment for my youngest son, Garrett, when we lived in Stillwater. I had uh, been getting ready for a summer youth trip and had gone to the bank to get some money for the road. I had a $100 bill in my wallet and we were kind of paying the boys uh, to do some chores around the house and I think we paid them a dollar a week to do a list of things, um, mow and wash the clothes and make the bed and <laughs> cook and it was really cheap labor, it was good. You know, we gave them a dollar each you know, to help out around the house, just trying to show them what it means to be a part of what's going on and everything. And I remember later in the day, I was talking to Robin in the kitchen, left my wallet on the counter uh, that day. We were talking and I noticed my wallet was a little disheveled. And so I went over and I looked at it, I opened it up, and I noticed that the $100 bill that had been in my wallet was gone and there was a $1 bill in my wallet. <laughs> so it was a great teaching moment for Garrett. He thought that he was really due a little more money than a dollar and didn't realize the hardship that might have put on me out on the road. That would have been difficult. But you know, we've made mistakes like that. All of us have. We've got stuff in our life that we, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I'd have gone a different direction. I wish I'd I'd made a different choice somewhere along the way. But what we find out in God's story is that when you repent, when you turn back to him, he's got open arms for you. He is faithful to forgive. And church, the only way to get rid of the stain of sin in our life is the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only answer and the only hope that we and the world have for forgiveness. He is the one who is going to set us free. I mean, you remember the story of David and Bathsheba. King David in the Old Testament, he saw Bathsheba on a rooftop and decided he wanted to be with her, although she was married. And so they were, they conceived a child. And so David began trying to fix everything himself. Even brought Uriah home, her husband from the war, except he wouldn't go in the house and be with his wife. And so eventually he sent Uriah back to the the war where he made sure he was at the front so that he would get killed. Then he married Uriah's widow, Bathsheba, their child was stillborn. And the whole time, David is just trying to fix it all himself until the prophet Nathan comes into the throne room and reminds David of what he's done. And David, in the moment, weeps and surrenders, tears his clothing. He has a penitent heart. He wants to be different Things have happened that he cannot change, but he wants to be a different person. And there have been moments in my own life when I have made choices that would not have made Jesus happy. There have been moments in my life when I've been unwise in a direction that I went in life. And it's in those moments that I like to go back and read Psalm 51. It's the psalm that David wrote after Nathan confronts him about his sin. I love the way the message version of the Bible puts it into this realm of understandability, if you will. The psalmist says, 
Generous in love, God, give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt, soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. And this idea that, that David realizes where he's been, but he also knows exactly where he wants to be. And God calls us into that moment as well. I mean, God's amazing grace is available to everyone who surrenders to Jesus Christ. Every single one of us, no matter where you've been, what you've done, how bad a person you believe yourself to be, know that forgiveness is possible. And Jesus Christ is waiting for you with open arms. He wants you and loves you. And so when we get to the point where we've called upon the Lord and we remember what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, the only thing left to do is worship the Lord, is give our entire life to him. Take a look at verse eight and nine. Jonah says, those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and I will fulfill all of my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Church, if you've got your own Bible, that would be one verse I'd want to highlight. It is in my Bible. Because salvation does come from the Lord alone. Amen? Amen. He wants to offer that to you and to me. The only way to deal with guilt in your life is to worship the Lord. Have you ever thought about guilt this way? Guilt is a very self-centered sin. It's all about you. When you feel that guilt, you walk into a room, you think everybody's looking at you. Everyone knows. When you're thinking about how to move and get rid of the guilt, you're thinking in your own terms. How can I get rid of this feeling that I have? All the pronouns are about me and I. Jonah mentions clinging to false gods in his prayer. What is he talking about? Well, Jonah's talking about himself. His false god was himself, believing that he had a better plan than God ever had, of being self-centered in his approach to how he was going to live life, but he knew better. And church, we are stronger when we surrender and realize that God can and will use you even in your brokenness. Whatever you think is keeping you away from God, God is saying that forgiveness is possible. Come back home. Come back to me. And we do have a tough time in moments forgiving our own selves. Satan reminds us over and over every day of the decisions we've made in the past, the unwise direction that we've taken in the past. He did that for David as well, but David eventually moved through that. And God continued to use David. And guess what, church? God will continue to use you too. No matter how far you think, he will always call you home. I mean, a really cool idea that the psalmist reveals in Psalm 32. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Church, how incredible that our sin can be removed, but even more incredible that our guilt can be removed. 
not only our sin, but our guilt as well. Church, there is a God who is pursuing you, and he wants something very special for you. He wants something very different for you. He is coming after you with everything that he has, and he has been since the day you were born. He gave his son for you. That's how much he loves you. And we started at the very front end of this chapter with kind of a weird moment where Jonah is swallowed by the fish, and we're going to close out the chapter in verse 10 kind of the same way. It says, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Now, why in the world would God give Jonah a second chance? Well, two reasons. One, God wasn't finished with Jonah yet. And the second idea is that Jonah admitted that he needed God. God is never finished with any of us. He desperately wants you to be a part of his story, the story that's unfolding in the world right now. But you and I have to make a decision to surrender to him, to be a part of that story, to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord and King of your life. You see, God tells us that there are two kinds of guilt and sorrow in our lives. He reveals it through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, there's this worldly sorrow, which is the idea that I am I'm sorry for the things that are happening. I feel guilty for what I'm doing in my life, but I'm not going to change direction. I'm going to do the same thing as I did yesterday. I feel bad about it, but I'm going to keep moving in this direction. That's worldly sorrow. But then Paul reminds us that godly sorrow leads us to repentance. It's this idea that we realize the decisions we're making are harmful to us in lots of different ways. And so I'm going to turn and make a decision to be different. That's godly sorrow. Church, we have an incredible God that loves us so very much that he gave his only son to die for us. But church, you know what? That tomb is empty. He has risen he sits at the right hand of God, and he wants us to be a part of his story. And it doesn't matter how far you've run, where you've gone, decisions you've made in your past, forgiveness is available through the blood of Christ, and he's calling you home. And so the challenge this morning is that you and I will remember, no matter if the sky is blue or it's chaotic and the storm or there's something right in front of you that seems like it's going to swallow you whole. We're called to call on God, to remember what he's done for us, and to worship him with every piece of life that we have. That's the call this morning. Now, I know that uh, in a moment we're going to sing a song, and our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing that song, I want you to reflect on and think about where you are in your own life. And maybe there's something going on in your life. Maybe you feel that dark cloud around you. Maybe you feel things are chaotic. Maybe you have some relational tension going on that's keeping you from moving forward. And I want to call you as we sing this song that you would find one of those shepherd couples and let them pray for you and over you. 
that that would be released, that anxiety would be gone, the guilt that you feel would be wiped away by the blood of Christ. Or maybe you this morning have never publicly said, Jesus Christ is my Lord, and you can change that this morning by being baptized into his name. You'll come up out of that water, a brand new creation, full of the Holy Spirit, ready to take on the world, knowing that we can overcome whatever the world throws at us because we serve the ultimate overcomer. Amen? We have an incredible life in Jesus Christ. And so we're called to live that out each and every day. So as a family, as a family of God here in this place this morning, let's stand together and give him all the praise that's due his name.